he was still though probably wrapped in swaddling clothes and it, there might have been you know some hay and the swaddling thing absolutely because you know we we still swaddle babies today of course the baby was swaddled that's how you keep them quiet you put them in little straight jackets and is that what you do that's what swaddling is dude you got four kids do you not swaddle any of your kids well, actually, we still try to find a straight jacket that fits, but yeah. <laughs> I'm struggling with that one. There you go. Welcome to episode 74 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft brewed pint, a fine wine, a holiday cocktail, or whatever happens to be in your glass. You can watch us live Tuesdays, 9 p.m. Eastern at pubtheology.com. And of course, you can listen anytime wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Tonight's episode is brought to you by our official sponsors. We are sponsored by Casual Priest, the maker of fine clergy wear. They're based in Sweden and the maker of tailored, modern, confident, stylish tops for both men and women. You can win free clergy apparel from Casual Priest if you leave a message on our Casual Priest hotline. That's 980-PT-LIVE-0 or 980-785-4830. Check them out at casualpriest.com as well. And of course, you can join our conversation anytime, whether we're streaming live or whenever you're listening. Use the hashtag PTLive on the social media when you do so. And we're also sponsored by Wink Wine Club. That's W-I-N-C, featuring superbly crafted wines that are shipped to your door, should your state allow it. If your state does not allow it, you are living in the wrong state. Get to a state that Wink can ship you some really excellent wines. You can try it out at trywink.com slash ptlive. That's T-R-Y-W-I-N-C dot com slash ptlive for $20 off your first order and other savings. Well, tonight it is our holiday episode, our Christmas conversation, our fa-la-la-la-la deck the halls extravaganza. We'll talk about what the real meaning of Christmas is. That sounds not auspicious. Uh, The importance of the birth narratives in the Gospels, whether Christmas can be meaningful for people who don't believe in Christ, and what might truly make Christmas great again. And we are joined by a guest tonight, friend of mine, uh, an actor, skier, uh, I believe of Ski Bums, is that correct? That's correct. Uh, Chris French. So, Chris, welcome. Uh, And maybe tell us a little bit more about uh, yourself. I didn't ask for a proper bio. And tell us where you're joining (laughs) us from. Uh, So I'm based in New York City, and I host skiing and snowboarding vacations for a living. But when I went to college, I was an actor, and that's why I originally moved to New York City, was to be a Broadway star. (laughs) After a few years of acting, I... uh, I decided that I, I wanted to plan my life. And so now I plan not only my life, but lots of other people's lives. And I take them on skiing and snowboarding vacations. Nice. Excellent, excellent, excellent. My name is Brian Burkoff, uh, pastor, 
of Holland UCC and author of the book, Pub Theology, Beer Conversation and God. And well, because I'm snowed in here in Michigan, I had to tap into, well, what's in the fridge. And I have the lovely fruit infused mandarina IPA from Saugatuck Brewing down the road here uh, in Michigan. And uh, it's a tasty beverage, so I can't complain. And joining us as usual, Ogan Holder. Welcome, Ogan. Hello, hello. Um... Reverend Ogenholder, author of Rants to Revelations, uh, Visual Aid, Unabashedly Honest Reflections on Life, Spirituality, and Meaning of God. I only hold the book up so I can remember what the subtitle is. It seemed fun at the time to plan a long subtitle, and now I think it's coming back to bite me. So there you go. There's that. Um, yeah. Tonight, I am drinking um, some infused eggnog. Um, it's infused oh. with, first of all, uh, some Captain Morgan white rum. All right. There's that. And true story, um, at my at my church, we, we are in basically kind of like a strip mall, and we own about half the strip mall property. We, the church, only occupy about, I'd say, uh, two-thirds of what we own, maybe half of that half that we own. So we rent out some of the other units. And we were cleaning out one of the other units from a, a recent rental, and somebody apparently left behind a bottle of Glenfiddich single malt Scotch whiskey. Now we're talking. Now we're now talking. Now we're talking. I'm hoping it wasn't one of the AA groups because that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's hope not. That's not how that's supposed to work. So I basically Correct. said, um, you know, ministerial perk if nobody calls and claims it in two days i am keeping this puppy so um this is what is also in my also yeah eggnog yeah because you know the the whiskey has a nice bite the rum is smooth they kind of kind of work with each other now now brian you are the the whiskey aficionado um i think on so is this is this a good like on its own sipping can 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 we do that that's perfect on its own i would have that neat uh what is that a 12 year Yes, that that's going to be nice. It's going to be smooth. You're going to, you wouldn't be disappointed. I probably wouldn't put that in my eggnog, but you know, do what you do. Why, why not? Because it's a waste of good scotch. You hey, can put, you can put you can put garbage whiskey in eggnog, and it'll serve the purpose. Excuse you. No, no, no. This is listen. This is good eggnog. This is not like that nasty grocery store oh, stuff with well, the doing the proper. All right. Fair enough. This, this is this is made local farm, all natural ingredients. You know, like five ingredients, like egg, cream. You know, this is good stuff. There so you it go. Deserves, it deserves good alcohol in it. There okay. you go. And I think perhaps on the line we have a familiar voice, Tina Simmons. Tina, you there? I'm here. Hi guys. Welcome. Hi. Welcome. Welcome back. Thanks for inviting me back for the Christmas episode. I was kind of excited. We're, we're just welcome. doing our introduction, so tell us, remind us who you are. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, I'm Tina Simmons, author of Zandrell Being Human is Overrated as T. Griffin. And tonight I am drinking, I forgot what it is, I want to say a hot toddy, a hot buttered rum. <laughs> a hot buttered rum, all right. Yes, all very right. exciting. It's it's homemade and it's delicious. Fantastic. Yeah, what Chris is drinking or is Chris, is Chris not not. I don't have anything on me, sadly. I should have brought a drink. I, I didn't realize that was part of Brian, the Brian, did not tell him? We I drink forgot. I, sorry, that, that, was me, that was me dropping the ball. That was me oh, dropping the ball. It's all good. 
So, uh, Chris, while we have you here, uh, when we uh, knew one another in our former lives in college, we were involved with a fairly evangelical uh, Christian group. Fairly? Uh, fairly, okay, extremely uh, fundamentalist. I don't know how you want to frame it, but uh, there, there it is. And there we were. But both of us have sort of migrated to different places in life and how we think about God and faith and all of that. Um, so... Could you? So we're exploring Christmas tonight, and I want to know how has Christmas shifted for you from uh, maybe earlier understandings of it when you were in that more evangelical place of faith to where you are now? Right. So I'm 43 now, and I'm a preacher's kid. So Christmas memories with my father and with my family are some of my earliest childhood memories. And to be honest, some of my most nostalgic, some of my, some of my richest, most meaningful memories. Um, by the time, as a typical evangelical, that, that you begin to understand the faith, uh, Christmas takes on a different meaning. And so for me, during my college years, when I was, you know, undeniably an evangelical Christian, Christmas did have, in addition to all of my family and all of that kind of uh, nostalgia, it also had this deep meaning that God had, you know, done this incredible thing and provided this child, the savior of the world, um, I stepped away from Christianity in a slow, gradual way, starting around when I was 30. And by the time that I made it to my mid-30s, I was no longer a believer uh, really in anything. I could have maybe called myself a secular humanist, but um, yeah. even that seems a little uh, too regimented in terms of a definition. But when you walk away from Christianity, you no longer have necessarily that deep belief at Christmas time of that, that God has performed a supernatural act and provided a child unto the world. But you still have all of that nostalgia, particularly of things that, that you may have celebrated with your family. And so I found that in the last few years, and it certainly took a while, it was a transition, but I found that over the last few years, I've, I've had to kind of navigate, like, what do I want to do? How do I want to celebrate this? Because it no longer has religious meaning for me, but I still know every harmony to angels we have heard on high. Like, <laughs> I, right. I, I, still, uh, I still can you know, get, get sweet and sentimental about certain moments that I've had with my family. But yeah. it's, a, it's a difficult question. If I were to have a family of my own, and I currently don't, I'm, I'm single, I don't have any children, and I'm gay, which adds an, another added level. But if I were to have kids, I would raise them with Christmas. I think that, Christmas, especially in America, can have just as much meaning, even if you're a completely secular person. If it can. It can. Okay. More. Yeah. So um, let's let's talk about what some of those meanings might be, because I think you know we all know the commercialism of Christmas and all of that. And if you take away sort of the religious aspect, which seems to be kind of the core, as it's often understood. Um, what are some of the other uh, meanings that are left? And maybe I'll throw this one to Tina to get Tina's voice here in the conversation. Um, give us give us a little bit of your take on on Christmas and and the meaning you find in it, Tina. Um, well, I, I missed the beginning of the show, so I'm curious to hear, Chris. I'm sorry, how, what um, how you do feel about religion now? But as far as your question, Brian, if you take Christmas out of, I mean uh, Christianity out of Christmas, 
to me, it's no different than Thanksgiving. It's still about family and about love and about gratitude. And it's just a winter celebration of all that instead of a fall celebration. Uh, Chris, would you would you add anything to that in terms of meaning for you and uh, a sort of in your post religious uh, setting? Yeah, I remember. I remember as I kind of became aware of how commercial Christmas was years ago that I, I looked at it with a little bit of cynicism. But I don't really think about things that way anymore. Um, I do think that it's it's rare that we're expected to. To give things to each other like we just don't have a lot of holidays at least in the United States where we give each other presents I've had the chance to visit a lot of foreign countries over the years there's a lot of gift giving in various cultures around the world in the United States we pretty much only do it on Christmas and <laughs> and maybe for and maybe for a person's birthday but I um, I honestly get a lot of out of joy out of and I, I, I mean it's it's a cliche but to me there's a greater joy to give than to receive like I, I I usually like looking for presents for my friends and giving presents to my friends. I usually like that more than whatever it is that my friends have gotten me or my family has gotten me. It's rare that I receive a Christmas present. Oh my God, I hope my sister isn't listening. But it's rare, it's rare that I get a Christmas present that I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing. It does happen every now and then. But, yeah. um, but I love to think about the things that my friends or family have mentioned throughout the year or things that I've noticed like, when I go to my sister's house, for example, I've noticed there's certain things that, that like are just old and breaking and falling apart, but she hasn't taken the time to get. And so I'll just take little mental notes. Like my sister needs a new wine opener. Hey, for pup theology, that's actually what I got my sister. If she happens to read this, Boom. I got her a new wine key because she's got one of those really terrible, like twisty kinds that like no one knows how to use. So, um, so yeah, but like, I hope to just notice, be like, Hey, Stephanie, I noticed that your wine, your wine opener doesn't really work anymore. Here's a new wine opener. Anyway, it's it's silly and it's it's even you could say kind of superficial, but the presents that mean something to me are the ones that indicate that someone has noticed, that someone has been listening. And those are indications of the fact that they care about you. So I could I can draw meaning in that. I like that. I like that. So if I had warned you to bring a beverage, what would you uh, what would you imagine yourself drinking right now? I, I am in the mood for Malbecs this time of year. Like I'd like a nice, good, kind of leather, chocolatey, Argentine Malbec when it gets cold out. Malbecs okay. are good time of year. Can I can I break in here for a second, um, Chris? You're talking my industry now, and let me tell you, Argentina <laughs> has been the only the only place to be able to get a good Malbec until now. Washington is actually producing awesome Malbecs. California's never been able to do it, but Washington's doing it. So keep an eye out for Washington Malbecs. So I remember reading this about seven years ago after the Argentine economy tanked and suddenly Malbecs started getting imported to the U.S. and started showing up in grocery stores for cheap. Suddenly it became a big varietal right around the same time that Sideways came out and people were, you know, yeah. souring on Merlot. Malbecs were becoming commercial. And so what I read is that a lot of vineyards throughout the Northwest were planting Malbec kind of anticipating future sales. So now it's and coming they're good in. they're at it. Yep. Nice. Awesome. Nice. All right. So I'm going to bring in Ogan here. And Ogan, tell, tell us your sort of thoughts on, on what you've heard so far in terms of meaning of Christmas, uh, both secular and sacred. So I, I think um, we should go back 
to the origins of Christmas and I actually did a little research. It might have been the third time this year I've done research for the show. Um, but, nice. but when we look at when Christmas began and the decision to hold it around the time of other pagan festivals dealing with the solstice, um, I found this interesting paragraph on history.com and I think that a lot of for a lot of folks for whom um, the, the the religious piece is not really integral to their Christmas experience, we may be getting back to what I'm about to read, and I think we should get back more into what I'm about to read. So from history.com, it says, by holding Christmas at the same time as traditional winter solstice festivals, church leaders increased the chances that Christmas would be properly embraced, but gave up the ability to dictate how it was celebrated. By the Middle Ages, Christianity had, for the most part, replaced pagan religion. On Christmas, believers attended church, then celebrated raucously in a drunken, carnival-like atmosphere similar to today's Mardi Gras. Ooh. Each year, a beggar or student would be crowned Lord of Misrule. I love that title, Lord of Misrule. And eager <laughs> celebrants played the part of his subjects. The poor would go to the houses of the rich, demand their best food and drink. If owners fail to comply, their visitors would most likely terrorize them with mischief. Christmas became the time of year when the upper classes could repay their real or imagined debt to society by entertaining less fortunate citizens. I say we get back to this. I Hold love on. that. <laughs> Ogan, are no. you going for that title this year? Lord of Misrule. Sure. I, so a I, lot of I, a lot of drinking and partying is that kind I of the think, bottom line? Well, I I think celebrating. It's a time. It's a time to celebrate for a lot of reasons. So even so, let's yeah. say you the the religion aspect is important to you. There's the obvious reason to celebrate. But even if it doesn't, it's like you're you get into the end of the year, like you survived the year. I think that's worthy of celebrating. Like this year, especially for a whole host of reasons, um, you know. I think it's good to celebrate. Um, you know, the gift given thing has various origins throughout history why we do this, but right. I also think that regardless of the religious attachment or not, this tends to be a time of year where people gravitate towards being more compassionate, more generous. Um, they're kinder. All of a sudden, you know, maybe family members they hadn't spoken to for most of the years, they're checking in on and sending cards and saying Merry Christmas. So I think I think the energy of connectedness um, is is a little more ramped up this time of year. And I think a lot of it has to do with how we externally beautify our immediate surroundings. We're putting up decorations and lights are going up. The place looks more festive. And I think when it we is fun. Make, when we make things look more festive. And we dress more festive. If you're watching the video, Tina and I are rocking our Santa hats. I had to take off my Jesus birthday boy sweater because it was just like, I'm like, like 100 degrees in that thing. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 um, so because we do these things, I think it elevates our mood and we feel better about each other. We're more patient. You know, we're willing to let people go ahead of us in traffic more often and hold doors for people. So I, I think that driving near a mall, if, if that's what you're saying. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't want to jump in and interrupt you too quickly, but I don't know if I agree with you about this. Well, this, I'm not talking. Same? I'm not Same talking more. Black Friday. Black Friday is like, you know, survival of the fittest. Lord Chris, of the fun. Chris, this is Ogan. He lives in a little bit of a bubble. Just so you know. <laughs> I, I do think, I mean, I, I will say, 
here's here's a few things that I know. I do know that it's a, a fallacy. It's a myth that Christmas is the most common day for people to commit suicide. That was something that I used to hear growing up. And there's good science right. that says that Christmas is, is no, people don't commit suicide that anymore than other times. Um, but I also don't necessarily think that we treat one another more kindly during this time of year. I do think that the messages about peace on earth and, um, you know. And accept Jesus and, or die. There are so many secular versions of this, though, that have shown up in everything from, um, you know, like John Lennon's or Paul McCartney's Christmas songs, you know. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which are some of the worst Christmas songs on the planet, unfortunately. Wonderful hey, Christmas time hey, and so this hey. is Christmas are literally the two worst Christmas songs ever. No, wow. Oh my god, they're terrible. But but I do think that the sentiment wonderful Christmas time is awful. Like how could Paul McCartney have possibly written that? Anyway, but I will say I do think that these messages are still good messages to put out into the world to treat each other with kindness and compassion. I think that that's a good thing. But I think that a lot of people get very depressed at this time of year. A lot of families get very stressed. I think there's a lot of parents that are very aware that they don't make as much money as they would like in order to provide their kids with uh, this long list of Christmas presents that their kid wishes that they had. I think a lot of people feel um, sad and depressed when comparing their actual families and what they can have to this kind of American dream of, of what they wished they might have. Um, that said, I, I would agree with you on, on that score in terms of the, it's, it is a very difficult time for a lot of people. Um, at, at my church, we actually have, and uh, I also think it highlights a lot of pain in families. It, when it, you, it does. when you realize that getting together with your family doesn't necessarily bring about those warm fuzzy kind of Folgers morning commercials where like everybody's all happy and glowy and sunny and, and kind. That's where the Malbuck comes into play. <laughs> exactly. I mean to be honest, to be honest, I did come from one of those families where we were really sweet to, to each other and, and our Christmases were honestly joyous, wonderful times. So I I feel lucky for that. And I think that's one reason why I do feel comfortable being nostalgic about it all. Yeah. But I'm very aware of other friends that don't have families like that. Um, at my at my church, every uh, Christmas season since I've been there, I do a thing called Home for the Holidays, where um, I invite people for whom the holidays is a difficult, challenging time. Whether they're grieving, or they're stressed out, or you know, like you said, the the, the family connection just isn't there to come gather and share stories and commiserate and be with each other. Um, and, um, and, and, and I would say the first year I did it, so many people showed up last year, no one showed up this year, I'm doing it again. And, 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 and some folks are showing up and, and I think that to your point, Chris, we need to make a space for those people in our spiritual communities and let them know that it's okay not to feel all bright and bubbly during the holidays. I think part of, part of what exacerbates that during the holidays is that we put this pressure on folks that you should be feeling um, a certain way at this time of year when, in fact, this time of year often, like you says, highlights what a lot of people um, don't have. Um, yeah. so, 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 so there's the flip side to the, to the sometimes experiencing the more connectedness as well. I want to give, give points to one of my family members who every year with their family, they make an honest-to-goodness effort to volunteer at a homeless shelter 
they um, help provide food at a soup kitchen and they have done things like Toys for Tots. Like they have raised their kids yeah. with that as part of their family tradition, which I think yeah. is kind of amazing. Um, but I do see a lot of that in America. As much as there are families that, and, and people that are sad, I do really see these beautiful efforts, charities that go be, well beyond their capacities of how they can just care for one another, provide for each other. I think that's really inspiring. Absolutely. So um, while we still have you for a few minutes here, uh, Chris, what would you what would you say if someone asked you what is the real meaning of Christmas? <laughs> mm. Well, like anything, I don't think any one person or group gets to define that. It, although it certainly has, uh, you know, this kind of marriage of Christian history and pagan uh, tradition kind of woven in, like anything things mutate and evolve and, and eventually uh, people adopted in all over the world. Um, so I, I don't think it's up to one particular group, especially, unfortunately, even Christians at this point to define it. They can certainly say, hey guys, this started with us. And I do think anytime you're celebrating, uh, whether it's a tradition or a holiday, it's important to know the history, it's important to know its roots. Side note, after this incredible Pixar film, Coco, I think a lot of white American families are gonna start celebrating Day of the Dead. If you haven't seen this movie, <laughs> yes. if you haven't seen this movie, it will make you want to mm -hmm. celebrate some of the elements of Day of the Dead because it's presented so movingly. Yeah. Um, so when you're, when you're choosing to celebrate another culture or another religion's faith um, or celebration, you need to know the history. But beyond that, I think I can speak at least for America. I think it has come to mean, gosh, I think it has come to mean, let's find ways to genuinely give of ourselves and give to one another and show appreciation for the people that, that mean something in our lives. I think that's, that's what it has come to mean. And that's I'm okay pretty with good. That. That's pretty good. You could have been more cynical there. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I, I, it. I think, a, I think a, Christmas is going to stick around, and I think it's going to continue to grow. But I think we're also going to see it. I mean, it's it's becoming popular in China, right? Even without, yeah. you know, a church expectation there, it's becoming popular in parts of the developed world that are non-Christian, because it's it's kind of a fun holiday. So speak, it's more than speak, fun; it's meaningful. Speaking of speaking of history, one more one more thing. So remember, I read we had the whole raucous party, Christmas atmosphere. What changed that? was actually two um, novels that, or, or two, two works of literature that came out around the same time um, in one, one uh, early 1800s. I think both of them were around the same time. It was uh, Washington Irvin's The Sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon. And it was a series about series about celebration of Christmas in an English manor house. And that was the first work that painted this picture of, you know, family gathering together. It's about peace and nostalgia and gift giving. And then what also came around the time was Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, right? Interesting. Which you know painted this, you know, this this picture that that we really identify a lot of the scenes um, of Christmas with, especially uh, Chris, Christmas Present. And that which I love. Yeah, I love I love that novel. I love the film adaptations, and honestly, it's a wonderful life. I mean, one of my yeah. favorite Christmas films. So there, there are Christmas stories that they themselves are to me are deeply meaningful. And let's yeah. just admit, the only true Christmas Carol worth watching is the one with George C. Scott. Like, 
Yes. <laughs> with that, with that, I gotta go, guys. Thanks for inviting me. I would love to Thanks, do it again. Chris. Good to meet you, man. Nice to have you, man. Happy Take holidays, it easy. Guys. Merry Christmas. Take care. Merry Christmas. So, 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 so the fact that how we, how we understand Christmas now on a secular level, especially that that I think has has also leaked into the religious idea of it. That the fact that that's only like a product of since the 1800s based on literature, I found pretty fascinating. Um, and yeah. I don't know that people know this. Just like, you know, weird segue, the, a lot of the imagery that, that um, Christian churches have about hell comes out of Dante's Inferno, not the Bible. That's right. You know, so so our writings can go a long way. Maybe maybe one of our books in the future will, uh, you know, bring in a, usher in a whole new way of being and thinking around the world. Yeah, so, you know, we... Um... So honestly, I thought he was going to go all cynical and say that, you know, well, in America, it's come to mean this gross over-celebration of consumerist capitalism. But he he went a much more hopeful route in that it's about generosity and the spirit of giving. And I think we definitely do see that uh, in our culture. And I think, you know, nonprofits and charities uh, get get the most amount of donations and and gifts and and do a lot of good this time of year. So I was I was kind of glad. He was saving the cynicism for me. <laughs> there you go <clears throat> and so you know we we hinted at the the real meaning of christmas and i think you know a lot of folks uh if they're going to church this time of year uh particularly in a lot of uh american evangelical churches the real meaning is the birth of this child that god who brings salvation to the world that in fact it's god being born in human form and that that's that that's the core real christmas uh so wondering how you two would um would you accept that would you tweak it would you say no i don't really hold that or i i look at it a different way i'm just i have an idea but just for our listeners how would you guys um frame the real meaning of christmas compared to how i just articulated it tina um well, and I'm putting you on the spot because I got distracted by my phone and I really didn't hear the question. So, oh I, boy, true story. I, th I think it's kind of what I said earlier about Thanksgiving because to me, I, you know, I'm not really Christian. Um, so, to me, it's just about family and gratitude and showing people that you love them and appreciate them. And um, quite honestly, I think it's also about, like Ogan was saying earlier, about decorations and having bright lights. And I, I think part of it is just beating the winter blues. You know, yeah. I, I think, I think that's part of, you know, everybody, why they made it when they made it and um, just trying to make everything happy during the darkest days of the coldest days of the winter. Um, so, yeah, I don't do the, the but I'm, I, I was going to say, go ahead. Well, I was to say, I hear you, and I, I also can imagine a lot of listeners saying, what, you know, Christmas has got to be about more than beating the winter blues. It's about God defeating, you know, death and Satan and coming in the form of this baby, and that's the real meaning, you know? Okay, so just, and like Chris said, that can be your meaning, and then, you right. know, but it's, I, I think it's, it's morphed into more than that. Like, they took a pagan holiday and turned it into a Christian holiday because that's, you know, they wanted people to follow it. But I think as it goes, it doesn't stop changing. 
You know, yeah. you know, it changed because of a couple novels. It changes because of movies. It changes because our culture changes. So to, yeah. to stick your feet in the mud and be like, this is what Christmas is and what it's always going to be is, is so backwards to me. Um, yeah. What did they say in the Poisonwood Bible? Um, <laughs> he stood, he stuck his feet in the mud and the world moved on without him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's well said. And I, I appreciate that, Tina. And I think you're echoing what Chris was saying that, that exactly that, the message has evolved. The celebration has evolved. And as Ogan has hinted at, you know, with some of the roots of the celebration, even before it was a Christian holiday, um, it's continued to change. And I, I like that Chris kind of deferred us. I don't know that any one group gets to define the real meaning of Christmas. Uh, you kind of have to define it for you and where you are. And um, I, I respect that. And But so, also like Chris, I, I totally agree with him. Like I love Christmas music and there are certain songs that, are absolutely Christ-based and they still touch my soul and bring tears to my eyes every time I hear them. Right. So, um, I, I, I take a real middle ground approach between the secular and the religion now. Of course so, you do. Of course I do. <laughs> of course I do. But for me, when, when you talk about the meaning, for me, the, the meaning is hope. And when I say this, uh, when so you know we have we have this whole mythology around Jesus's birth, you know, born of a virgin. They trekked to Bethlehem. The wise men showed up, and like it's this whole thing. And that, you know, most biblical scholars will will agree that it will you know most likely did not happen that way. He probably was born in Nazareth where he grew up. Mary Don't ruin the Christmas pageant here. Uh, too late. Um, you know, um. Mary, Mary and Joseph probably were both virgins when they both when they first had sex and had a baby. So you know, there's there's. Uh, he was older though. I bet yeah. Mary, Mary might have been his like second. Well, wife, he was older. That didn't, that doesn't mean he didn't like. That doesn't mean he was. You know. Um, All right. Uh, Fair enough. Know. No, but there are theories that he had a wife before Mary, and and she died or something. So a lot of lot of stories around this. But what what came to me this year for the first time was. Um, because I used to derive great pleasure in like pulling apart the mythology behind the Christmas story and then still finding a measure of hope in it. But it occurred to me today that if they hadn't written this fantastical story about Jesus' birth, we are left with this fairly ordinary couple in an ordinary place who had an ordinary baby who grew up to start a ministry or grew up to, to um, evolve the spiritual things of the time that would eventually turn into this movement that is now one of the world's major religions. So we have this extraordinary outcome from a potentially very ordinary beginning. Which is so much more beautiful. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. When I, when I picture it that way, like that fills me with, with hope for myself, for everybody else. Like, like, you know, we, we, each of us in our ordinary ways in life, have this potential to do these amazing things. We may not start the next world religion, but everything we do can have meaning and is important. And we don't know the ripple effect it's gonna have. So, so like I'm like I can I I, I can really fall in love with with it being about Jesus's birth, but but about the real probable real story of Jesus's birth, which was purely ordinary in fact they didn't they didn't celebrate jesus's birth the like i don't know the fourth century or something like hundreds and hundreds of years after 
So yeah, so so let me reframe this for a second. This is really interesting. So you're you're saying uh, for you, it seems more powerful to sort of strip away uh, the visits of the angel to Mary and Joseph, uh, the angels who show up to the shepherds, the wise men, the star over over Bethlehem. You're saying if you pull all that sort of supernatural elements away and just have what many scholars believe was perhaps what actually happened, that Jesus was born in obscurity in Nazareth and mm-hmm. nobody remembered that um, or could keep track of that. To you, that's more meaningful because something extraordinary came out of very ordinary yep. beginnings. Exactly. Because okay. that means every one of us can be extraordinary. You know, that means every one of us can do miraculous, amazing things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and, 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 and it takes, um, um, you know, it, it, it takes the Jesus as Jesus as the exception story and turns it into, you know, as we love to say in unity now, Jesus is the example, the yeah. example. Um, so, so yeah. that's, that's where I can find the, 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 the meaning for me in the original, like religious related story, but it turns now into something that applies to each and every one of us, whether we believe in the the Jesus birth myth or he not. Was, he was still, though, probably wrapped in swaddling clothes, and there might have been, you know, some hay and animals around. You know, that sounds not if humble, he was pretty born, humble. Not if he was born in his house. Well, the animal there might have okay. been some animals in the house, but okay, I, have- I feel like we're ruining this for Brian. We gotta stop. <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm like, come on, guys. Oh, man. Don't want to ask questions you don't want answers for. Brian, what about no crying? Not me, Brian. If it's just because it's not true, doesn't make it a not a fun story, a great story. No doubt. No <laughs> doubt. Or rather, because it didn't happen, doesn't mean it's not true. Yes. There you go. There you go. Just and the swaddling thing. The, the swaddling thing. Absolutely, because you know we we still swaddle babies today. Of course, the baby was swaddled. That's how you keep them quiet. You put them in little straight jackets and. Is that what you do? That's what swaddling is. Dude, you got four kids. Did you not swaddle any of your kids? Well, actually, we still try to find a straight jacket that fits, but <laughs> yeah, I'm struggling with that one. There you go. <laughs> Man, I had I had a follow-up, but but where did it go? Uh, so, yeah, so, Ogan, for you, um, how much do you get into the nativity narratives or the birth narratives in your in your church or communal celebration of Christmas and how much of it is sort of transcending that to some of the meanings we've talked about, about, about hope and about generosity and, and giving and that kind of thing. Um, so, so I, I pretty much take the tact I just kind of shared in that um, I, I first, I first acknowledge the, the historical reality of the story. Like I can't, I I have very intelligent people in my congregation. I can't get up there and say Jesus was born in Bethlehem, you know, and and the shepherd showed up. Like that, like I I spend the rest of the year talking about stepping away from the literalism of the Bible. So I you can't, have the like, opposite problem of most pastors. Most pastors have to say that, or they'd be run out right. of breath. Exactly, exactly. I spend the I spend pretty much every other Sunday, you know, telling people we don't we don't approach the Bible literally. So suddenly, to to have a literal approach to this nativity story is gonna lose major credibility. But because it's such a still a traditionally impactful story, I, I am not going to wholesale dismiss it. 
you know, so so again, the metaphysical approach to the Bible is what what do each of these characters represent? And they all mean something to us. They all represent an aspect of our own spiritual development. So we can read this story just as it is, a really, really uh, uh, you know, beautiful story. You know, even if you just take the story as fiction, it's still a beautiful story. It is a story about generosity. You know, this this uh, innkeeper who said, you know, I, I got no room, but I see you need a spot. I'm going to hook you up best I can. You know, uh, it's it, it's still a story ab about new life, you know, which yeah. which is, you know, who, who, who doesn't who doesn't love a new baby? Babies are awesome. So, you know, <laughs> but this baby, I mean, come on. So I would say for listeners who are sort of feeling uh, off kilter or um, are, you know, sort of like, what are we talking about? A book I would highly recommend for getting into some of the historicity of um, the uh, birth narratives in the Gospels is The First Christmas by Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan. Yeah, great Fantastic book. book. And to me, it adds so much, so many layers of meaning, even as they're sort of deconstructing uh, or repainting what actually may have happened. They also build so much historical context and political, socio-political context that it just, it's awesome. So highly recommend it. And, and I think Christmas is uh, Christmas and Easter are truly, um, again, two of those, two of those uh, holidays that we celebrate that because of their pagan origins, still have a good crossover appeal wow. you know when when we get to easter and we start talking about the bunny and there are people who are still asking like why do we have a bunny at easter you know fertility. exactly it's it's a symbol of, of of fertility the fertility goddess and therefore that's that's a piece that, that we still hold and honor and i think and I think it's a great amalgamation of the the secular, even though paganism, I guess, really you can't call it secular, but um, of 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 two worlds meeting and finding common ground. Um, and kind of wish that I, would happen in our country right now. You you know, <laughs> meaning of Christmas right there. Well, speaking of, uh, we heard recently from uh, a certain. Uh, president of the United States, that he was going to make Christmas great again. Uh, so, um, wondering uh, what for you would make Christmas great again if it indeed has lost its greatness? You know what cracked me up was was when he made the speech. I forget where was he. Uh, was it last week when he's like, "I told you we'd be using the word Christmas again." I'm like, dude, no one stopped using the word Christmas ever. Like, but so many people bought into that. Yeah, he's like, we're going to start saying Merry Christmas again. And then people are posting literal like audio clips of President Obama saying Merry Christmas like 20 like, times. But yeah, over and over. Yeah. Nobody stopped. The only people who didn't use Christmas are the people who never did to begin with. So exactly. I cracked crack me up. Um, I think honestly, uh, um, the, the, the more I... I, I let go the 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 traditional um, story of Christmas as being this like like as you alluded to Brian earlier this this linchpin in the Christian story of you know God sending His Son to die for us and this was the start of that chapter um, 
you know, the more I, the more I distance myself from that, the more, uh, the more Christmas actually means something to me. That's interesting. So you're saying the more you take Christ out of Christmas, the richer it becomes. No, I'm saying the more. But he still says Merry Christmas. <laughs> the more, the more I put Jesus, the man, in Christmas, ah, well and take done. out Christ, Ooh. the, uh, the, you know, the Christ of faith, yes, being out of Christmas, it becomes a lot more relatable of a story to me. So nice, nice Ooh. recover. Well Thank played. You. Well Thank played. You. Thank you. See, I hear I thought I had you out on out on a limb and you were gonna crash. My eggnog's not strong enough. That's the problem. <laughs> Still of clear mind and thought. <laughs> so so uh Tina, what about you? Uh if, like what what are things that you see around the holiday that you sort of wish were different and and what do you see that um you wish you saw more of that would make it richer? Um, honestly, now, like, this is my second Christmas in Washington, and it's kind of cool, you know, it's, um, I don't see as much commercialism out here, mm. um, but there are so many different Christmas shows, and light festivals, and tree lightings, and, you know, musical groups, like, it's all the stuff I love, so I, I don't know, I'm, I'm liking it. It's doing um, all right. Yeah. For me to for Christmas to have more meaning, um I because I live out here now, it would be to be able to go home for uh, to Pennsylvania for Christmas and spend it with my family. Which is is, you know, ironic cuz they drive me insane, but <laughs> but I I, I would like a Pennsylvania Christmas again. So what what makes what makes Pennsylvania Christmas special as opposed to my family. Wait, so it's just a family piece. Okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, if I could bring them all out here for Christmas, I would much prefer that. Mm -hmm. um, because, like, I can't stand, like, mall traffic and all the shopping and, you know, all that. Brian, that's what I would get rid of. I would, I would have it that, like, Christmas became this thing where everybody gave each other one gift. And that was it. Yeah. And like Chris said, it was a very thoughtful gift. Right. But that was it. It wasn't about the money. It wasn't about how much you spent on somebody or the number of gifts or any of these ridiculous things you see where there's like 3,000 gifts under the Christmas tree, you know? Wait, wait. I, thought you were time together. I thought you were supposed to only give one gift. I've been doing it wrong all this time. <laughs> Trust me, Joy would have told you if you were really doing that. <laughs> nice. You know, nice. She actually, she's actually probably the only person who gets like more than one gift. Usually... I give everyone else her, her, and whoever I happen to be in a relationship with at the time. They're like the only two people who will get multiple gifts. Everybody else generally gets one. Like I'm not yeah. made of money. <laughs> no, I think that's pretty typical too. But it's you know like yeah, the kids getting thousands of dollars for it. Like it it desensitizes yeah, them. I think. And I think I think part of it is cultural as well because like when I grew up, like the, my my family, like my parents would ask me what do you want for Christmas? And I never got those things. I never got those things. You didn't? No. You were left like, what? <laughs> exactly. I'm like, they why asked you, you what you wanted and then didn't get it anyhow? No. I'd got what, I'd get whatever they wanted to give me. I didn't wow. get what I asked Dude, what a, what a, Wow. You, you're trying like, to recover from that. It was like, be lucky you got what you got. 
Well, know. you know, I can't say anything. My my ex-husband had the same view and like the kids weren't allowed to ask for anything for Christmas. And I don't necessarily agree with that either. I think it's okay to ask for things in life. So I think you brought up an important or an interesting point, Tina, that uh, what might make Christmas really meaningful is, is being uh, back in Pennsylvania to experience a Pennsylvania Christmas. But then you said, actually, if I could bring everyone out here, that would be good too. But there is something about place with celebrating Christmas, isn't there? Because I think particularly for people who um, always return to like a family home and that was where Christmas was celebrated. And then when that home no longer was there, it sold or, or a parent died or, or whatever it was, when you celebrate Christmas in a new place, there's a readjustment, isn't there? Like there's a sense of loss because you have those memories of place that are so tied into Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mine, it's definitely just being with my family because my, my mom passed away and I don't know that I would want to, like her house was Christmas to me, you know? Well, I don't yeah. think I'd want to go back without her. Sure. That, that makes, that makes, but I totally, sense. I get what you're saying. Like, you know, you go back to the, your family homestead. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, for me, we moved around a ton growing up. So we were, you know, I've spent Christmases in more places than I can remember, but my wife, uh, grew up more or less most of her life in the same farmhouse. And that's where we'll still gather with the extended family for Christmas. And, um, to do that somewhere else would feel, and I think we did it somewhere else one year because we needed a little more space and it just felt, is this right? And now, now if it's Hawaii, I'd be like, yeah, this is right. This oh, is fine. It's, it's Hawaii or Barbados. <laughs> oh, Barbados. Yeah. Wink, wink. You know, it is. It well, I'll is, go visit Ogan's family for Christmas next year. Come on. Yeah, come on down. It, it is the time of year I miss Barbados the most and not just because it's cold um, and, 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 you know, it's hot in Barbados. Um, Sarah, Sarah, my girlfriend, and I, we just look, we're going in February when she has a week off from school. Um, we're going to go down in February. And, you know, what was it? Uh, this past weekend when the snow hit um, or early last week when it was really cold. And I was like, uh, I want, she's like, I wonder what, it's, what the temperature in Barbados is now. And this is like at 11, this is like at nighttime. And I was like, huh. I'm going to guess low 80s because that's what it always was. And it turns out it was a chilly night that night. It was 78 in Barbados. Like, and that's that chilly. Wow. 78 chilly. That's yeah. amazing. So, uh, so I do, but, but the other reason I miss it um, is, again, to Tina's point, some fa family is, you know, but primarily it's the food and the traditions and yeah. customs yes um you know and 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 things we do on the island on christmas day like that's that stuff i'm still very nostalgic for um the christmas eve is the busiest day in my grandmother's bakery because everybody wants their bread fresh and we're going to be closed on christmas day and the day after so they go they got to go to sometimes three days without fresh bread and you know all civilization ends when that happens so you know, there'll be lines for miles down the street coming to the bakery and like everybody's in the bakery baking, even people like like who don't know how to bake bread. They're like, come help us, nice. you know, family members. So so there's a lot of that, that like familial chaos that adds to the festivity and we work ourselves to the bones at like 1130 at midnight. And then we get up to go to church at 5 a.m. because everybody knows apparently Jesus was born at sunrise. So I'm yeah. sorry, you missed this? <laughs> 
I do. <laughs> Don't worry about with this, Hogan. <laughs> it's really weird, but but I do. What? I do. Wow. Well, one of our family traditions that's kind of bizarre uh, is that um, we, after we would open all the, we always open presents on Christmas Eve, and then after that, we would listen to Michael Jackson's Thriller and play games as a family. And are you serious? Are you we did serious? it one year, and then we're like, remember when we did that last year? That was fun. And then it just was like, well, now we have to play thrill the album Thriller and play games. That's actually adorable. And that became like our Christmas-like thing as a family, which now my how parents kind of look back and they're like, did we do that? How did Thriller get involved? We were a big Michael Jackson family. That's you know what? Somebody probably got the CD for Christmas. Well, we had the record album. This was like... Oh, you know, I'm sorry. Way back then. Had it Somebody on the probably got the record for Christmas and you started playing it and that's you why it became. Be right. You might be right. That's hysterical. We used to open one gift on Christmas Eve. Um, and quite honestly, I think my brother and I started it when everybody else was out of the house. Um, and my mom let us open one gift on Christmas Eve. And I carried that tradition on with, with my kids. And I, I just loved it. I always loved it. And I love, um, Ogan, you go to church at five o'clock in the morning. We always went to the midnight candle light service mm -hmm. and you always finish with silent night and you're holding a lit candle. And I just, I love it. That's what we're doing. That's what we always do at our Christmas Eve service there at our church. We have a Christmas Eve service and, um, and that's how we end it. Silent night candles. Um, there's, there's a certain piece to, to that. Um, I, I I guess is it religious nostalgia? I don't know what it is, yeah. but but yeah, but, or or, or I don't know. But there's a certain something that 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 around Christmas time, you know, people are willing to to connect with those traditions, even if they don't wholeheartedly believe in them anymore. So I know, like in a lot of Unity churches, for example, you know, we're we're not gonna sing traditional uh, like hymns during the rest of the year that that that, that speak of you know, God in heaven or, or work coming down to earth. Yeah. Right. It's all about internal divinity, but you let a few Sundays in December go by and we don't sing some carols. It's like, come on, you, you know, and, and most of the carols, traditional carols are about, you know, Christ, the King is born and come to save us from darkness. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to call that religious nostalgia. I think that's more of an emotional connection. Um, to the songs like that's a time when you felt as a child you felt extremely safe you felt extremely loved it feels like the world is at peace every single person's energy around you especially if you're highly affected by energy every every bit of energy around you is calm and loving and it's very rare to get that any other time of the year and i think that christmas music really um brings that up in us i, I think i don't think it's religious nostalgia mm. Could be, yes. Yes. I yeah, so. I don't know. S semantics. Unless it's Paul, unless it's Paul McCartney's um Apparently. That's so funny, Chris. I love that song. Thank you very much. He was shredding that. He wanted nothing to do but, with it. But you know, let's let's all admit Paul McCartney's songwriting kinda took a dive after the Beatles, you know. Hey. He was never back in true form, but I but I kinda I kinda love the, the just like the retro pop feel of that song. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And 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 it speaks to kind of like a simplicity of the season. Um, so, yeah, so what's the John Lennon one? Uh, oh, so this is Christmas. So it's over. all about that you should feel lucky because, um, you know, everybody's happy right now, but the world's going to go back to hell the next day. Right. <laughs> Isn't that the gist of it? 
It is, but but you know, there's that wonderful chorus of children singing "War is over if we want it." It's really an affirmation of yeah, I like, do like that. We, we could peace, global peace. We we can do it tomorrow if we wanted to. Come on, but, people. It's a choice. Yeah, there's some payoff. Um, a similar song is we did this uh, actually in church this past Sunday. Uh, Stevie Wonder, "Someday at Christmas," you know, and it speaks to that whole same idea of of us adults when it comes to like you know global global geopolitics we're we're like kids with toys instead of really taking it seriously and so the whole song is this this like intention of hope for like someday at christmas we will be experiencing the peace and love and the compassion that that we claim you know the the season is all about so i think those songs have a have a place in modern in the modern christmas lexicon of music and um hold up again with with the carols and well, they're they're great secular they're great secular uh complement to the religious songs um during, during that during that time of year that can still have that message of hope and love well and like you had said you know um it is a symbol of hope because it's if we can be this way for one day we can find a way to continue it for the whole year. Like it's it's a true message of hope. There is a possibility that humanity can achieve that. Yes. I have my doubts, but. <laughs> oh. Wow, I was just gonna say that's like a beautiful final word to close on, and then she's like, "I have my doubts." <laughs> wow. So I think we're approaching our hour here. Any any final thoughts on? Uh, the real meaning of Christmas or finding depth in the season or advice for someone who, yeah, hates Christmas. I don't know. <laughs> well, um, be before we do that, uh, let's remember to tell our listeners we are taking a few weeks off. And when are we, when are we resuming? Did we decide? It was... We will be back in 2018. Can you narrow that down a little bit? <laughs> oh, you're, right you're more, there, Ryan. <laughs> more precision. Uh, I think, I, I think I we think... said, January nine. nine is what I think. January nine. Okay. Well, well, is is the uh, is the tentative return date? Stay, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, Ogan and I have some vacation hours to use on this show, so we're going to use them. <laughs> um. So we will. Yes, we will see you then. Great. Uh. Good. Good time to take the time to go. Uh. Re-listen to, to all the episodes this year that that you missed. Um. And get get caught up. Exactly. Or your favorites. Or your favorites. If you gotta if you gotta travel to go see family for the holidays, you know, download a few episodes, put them in the car. Yeah. Speaking of nostalgia. Ex exactly. So what was your question again? I already forgot. Well, just any any final final word on uh finding meaning in the holiday season. Maybe maybe especially for people who are, who kind of struggle with that. Yeah. I don't know. Make it make it <laughs> This Sorry, is Brian. so inspiring, I have to say. <laughs> you know what? Christmas is whatever you're going to make it. You get to choose what it looks like. Merry Christmas, however it looks like to you. Ooh, well done. Well, 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 well done. I, I would say, I would say, um, and Chris alluded to this, um, may, maybe use the, maybe use the already both secular and religious traditions of the holiday to like step outside yourself and maybe be a little extra generous this year um, to, mm. to your loved ones, um, you know, throw the, throw the extra change from your cup of coffee, even though everybody's going plastic and, and 
smartphone payments these days. But um, if you have some loose change, you know, give give to the Salvation Army guy. Um, throw a toy in the Toys for Tots bins. Um, you know, donate some coats to a coat drive. Um, kind of if you don't do this habitually during the year, this is a really good time to to put others first and take care of them in some small way. If we all take care of a few people in a very small way, we, we will, we'll be nice to the whole world. So that's, mm. that's my word. Mm, good word. And I would say if you're struggling uh, this holiday season, uh, find a friend or some friends or a community to connect with. Like don't, don't try to tough it out alone if, if you can, you know, because it is tough. And uh, I think there are people out there who want to be around and will support you and um, be with you. And, uh, and you know what, if you're struggling uh, just to uh, put gifts under the tree, seek out a local organ local organization and uh, folks will, folks will help. Many, oh, many churches have, holiday for you. Yeah, many churches have like the Given Tree um, event where they work with with local charities to to have folks buy gifts for um, kids and families that may not otherwise have gifts under the tree. Um, and um, and and Given makes you feel good. So even if this is a tough time of year, any time of year, Given makes the giver feel. A little bit better especially when they can when they know that it's bringing a smile to someone's face so so yeah give give there you go get out and do something don't let paul mccartney say so this is christmas and what have you done <laughs> that was awesome brian <laughs> all right thank you friends for tuning in to pub theology live uh please connect and spread the word on social media you can listen anytime on soundcloud stitcher itunes google play music you name it you can find podcasts you will find pub theology live there and if you'd like to find a local conversation like this in your town check out pubtheology.com and the official directory there. And if you don't see one in your neighborhood, you can find resources to help you start your own. Thanks again to our sponsors, Wink Wine Club, who you'll find at trywink.com slash ptlive and casualpriest at casualpriest.com. And thanks to Chris French joining us from New York City. And thanks to Tina Simmons making Woo! a guest appearance on our holiday show. And until next time, friends, drink wait, responsibly wait, wait, and keep forgot. those conversations flowing. We forgot, we forgot to say happy Hanukkah to all our Jewish friends. It's the first night of Hanukkah tonight. So we got to say happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. And I feel like I should do the close over because I was being, I know. I was being, it. It's being interrupted. So, and happy Hanukkah to all of our Jewish friends. Uh, and until next time, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing. We'll see you next year. accidentally hit the pause button abrupt ending you're gonna edit that in anyways it's all good i'll edit it in it's all uh, good. you are not editing out him saying whoever 
whatever girlfriend he has at the time. That was his. I did not say whatever girlfriend I had. Yes, you did. Whoever <laughs> happened. He said whoever I'm with at the time. Whoever I happened to be dating at the time. It was hysterical. <laughs> Whoa, when I heard that, I thought, whoa, calm it down. Hey, it's it's facts. <laughs> All right, guys, I got an episode of Westworld waiting for me. So, Boom. Great to have you back, Tina. I know. Thanks for holiday. having me on, Ogan. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Merry right. Christmas. You guys Merry have Christmas. a Merry Christmas. All. All right. Bye-bye. See ya.